Welcome to another episode of the Nurse Wellbeing Mission podcast. I'm really excited about my guest today. I'm, I'm always excited about my guest, let's face it, but today's discussion is around a topic that is of personal and professional interest to me. We're going to be talking about self-compassion, and I'm talking to Yashna Schwint, who is a professor of nursing in Canada. She's a wonderful person. She's really inspirational. She was a pioneer of introducing mindful self-compassion practices with her nursing students some 20 years ago where she works and today we talk about her interest in using mindfulness and compassion in nursing education and nursing in general and we talk about a recent review article that her and some co-authors wrote that recommends that mindfulness and self-compassion are integrated into nursing curricula in general. We've got a real treat for you in this episode towards the end I will be running a self-compassion exercise and that's really to make it a little bit more tangible for listeners who've never really experienced self-compassion or self-compassion exercises. I wanted to demonstrate or ask you to participate and experience it for yourself. So Yashna very kindly participates and reflects on the self-compassion exercise. So stay tuned for that. This episode will be helpful for anyone interested to find out a little bit more about what self-compassion is how it could be beneficial for nurses or nursing students and for people interested in incorporating self-compassion perhaps into their day-to-day lives or for people working in hospitals or nurse educators, people working in universities who are interested to incorporate self-compassion training into their students' nursing curricula. So without further ado, I bring you my guest today, Jasna Schwind. Welcome to the Nurse Wellbeing Mission podcast, hosted by me, Nathan Illman. This is the place where nurse and midwife wellbeing are at the top of the agenda. Each episode aims to help nurses and midwives around the world flourish through informative, inspiring and practical content and conversations. So Yasna, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you and I'm really excited about this conversation. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. So it was quite hard for me to actually kind of get one particular focus to talk to you about today because there's so many things that I would love to talk to you about. Um, But for our listeners, why don't you um, start by introducing yourself and where you work and just a little bit about your professional background? Certainly. So um, my name is uh, Jasna Schwind. I am an associate professor in the Daphne Cockwell School of Nursing at the Toronto Metropolitan University in Toronto, Canada. In terms of research, I'm a narrative inquirer. I'm interested in human experience and the stories of such experiences. For example, patients' experience of illness or a student's experience of engagement in learning, um, nurse Uh, patient relationships, uh, how they engage in relational care. As an educator, and that's very much a passion of mine as well, I I teach uh, qualitative research, uh, knowledge development in nursing, and um, advanced therapeutic communication from an interprofessional perspective. So I work with nursing students at undergraduate level, and graduate level, as well as other uh, uh, professions, so students from social work, nutrition, um, child and youth care, and uh, early childhood studies, and so on. Fantastic, thanks. 
And would you mind just telling us a little bit about your current research interests? So we're going to talk, we're going to focus on a particular paper that you published with some co-authors in the past few years. But why don't you just give us a little bit of an outline of yeah what you're currently excited about, what you're currently researching? Uh, so uh, my uh, uh, just to uh, give you a bit of a trajectory. So uh, my earlier re research really focused on, like I say, the stories of experience, and that moved into uh, looking at students' experience of education. How do they actually engage in teaching and learning um, contexts? Because the purpose of education, and uh, and I really call that teaching learning because it makes it more, for me, more organic and authentic, is how do, how do students engage? What is their experience of that, of that engagement? And so to me, as a, as a teacher, as an educator, it's not good enough just for me to uh, uh, tell, uh, tell the knowledge. How do I engage students so they want to learn? So I do use a lot, many uh, ways, creative ways of doing um, teaching and learning, had to adapt that to the virtual learning that we were engaged in over the last two years. Um, but the one for the purposes of our conversation today in terms of uh, self-compassion and mindfulness, I start all of my classes with a brief mindful um, breathing activity. It's about four minutes. And then I end each class with loving kindness meditation. Again, another four minutes. At first, I was trepidatious about using this because I started using it about a couple of decades ago. And at that time, it wasn't as common of um, awareness and knowledge in general public. So I felt a bit um, uncomfortable, but I thought I'd give it a try. I in invited uh, anonymous feedback from students uh, halfway through and was very positive. So that moved me then to looking at how mindful presence and how being with um, may impact um, teaching and learning. So when we decrease our anxiety, when we are present in the moment with one another, we are more, ab more able to um, take the information in, connect it with what we already know and expand our knowledge. And so that's where my research then moved from um, experiences of, say, illness, that was the, my original work, uh, to looking at experience of education, and then more specifically looking at how mindfulness and mindful pr uh, practices impact educational um, contexts. I love this idea of helping to reduce student anxiety and bring them into a state that's more optimized for learning, because I think it's something that we can all kind of resonate with that how the nerves that we get around certain things that might be challenging for us can impact our ability to learn and take tests and things. And yes. I know there's a, there is a, a, a research literature, isn't there, which shows that performance can be improved simply by addressing the anxiety mm -hmm. um, that people experience um, for, for different things. I, I very much agree. Um, and uh, there's a lot of research now that has come out over the past uh 20 years, especially um, that, you know, the empirical research, the, um, uh, you know, randomized uh, control studies, qualitative research that really recognizes the value of um, managing, first of all, being aware of our, uh, of our emotions, of our state of mind, and how these impact, again, how we engage with what activity, whatever is happening. And I work very much with metaphors. And so I, I, um, I uh, tell the students, I said, if your mind is 
closed, like a very tight, no water can seep through that. And that is like new uh, knowledge or energy. But if it's rela more relaxed, energy uh, and knowledge can uh, can permeate that and then you can then take uh, use that like in a, in a planter if it's a metal planter you can pour lots of water in after a while it overflows and nothing sticks but if you have a planter that's porous you pour the water in it's absorbed and you keep and knowledge is just coming in and coming in and you're integrating it so um using these visuals i find and uh, these um, metaphoric images students over the years anecdotally and through research have said how helpful that is to them to grasp that these ideas and then make them theirs and the idea is to make it your own before it's it does anything really I love that metaphor, and I can see why that would be really helpful for students as well. <laughs> so um, today's conversation is going to focus on self-compassion, and you've already mentioned just then around a couple of the exercises that you do that are mindfulness and self-compassion exercises with your students. So in terms of the direction of this conversation, in a moment, I'll get you to talk through this recent review article that you and your co-authors have done. And I'll just, I suppose, just to let listeners know at the moment, Yasmin and I have had a conversation before this. And what we thought might be quite a nice idea is we're going to talk about Yasmin's paper and some really nice recommendations that her and her co-authors have made around nursing curricula and self-compassion. And at the end, I'm going to lead a brief self-compassion exercise to, I suppose, make it a little bit more tangible something concrete that people can follow along with and see what self-compassion sounds like, what it feels like. Um, so just to begin with, should we just talk a little bit about what self-compassion is? And I'd, I'd just be curious to know, Yasna, for, for you, I know there's some sort of technical definitions, research def in the literature um, definitions, but what does it mean to you? What's your sort of personal definition? Of yes. Um, so for me, um, Mindful self-compassion is mindful self-awareness of the mind, body, spirit, and emotion. So this holistic uh, awareness of ourselves, and it's uh, and then um, it's like doing a diagnostic body scan. Um, uh, uh, you know, when we have a, a car, we take it to the uh, mechanic and we say something's wrong with it. I'm not sure what it is. So they do a diagnostic. So this is what we actually do. When we are self-aware, we scan the body. And John Kabat-Zinn uh, did beautiful work with um, mindful-based stress reduction. Um, uh, he has a 12-week uh, program, and that is uh, very, very uh, helpful to many people for various reasons. But, but it's that body scan. We check to see what's going on. And it's not just what we are thinking, oftentimes that is, um, but also are we holding tension, stress in any part of our body, our emotions, are we feeling uh, frazzled? Are we feeling overly anxious over or not? And so on. So really uh, we are, what we are doing is we're uh, looking to see what is calling our attention. And then we note this, we consider what arises for us. Is it acceptance of this need or is it the resistance? That's something that we need to ask ourselves. If it's acceptance, then we can breathe into it. We can consider it, reflect on it with care. However, from my experience and having working with myself and with people, we, a lot of times we tend to uh, lean towards the latter where we, uh, where, we, where we are resistant and then we become self-critical. 
And so what we need to do then is to explore this resistance without the judgment um, so that um, what is needed really is the kind curiosity, similar uh, to what we would um, accord to a dear friend. Hmm, what is the resistance about? Without judging, without criticism, without beating ourselves up. You know, it's okay. You know, I'm feeling down again. Hmm. What, what, uh, what's going on? Can you tell me about it? Can I maybe write it down? Okay, it'll be fine. Let's uh, uh, support ourselves. So this is what we would do with a friend. Tell me about your uh, feeling down. Did anything happen? What can I do to be there supportive? Maybe breathing a little bit deeper uh, would help, you know, and so on. So mm -hmm. this is what we do. So this, uh, so with um, mindful self-presence, um, we have the opportunity to start over again. And um, a longtime practitioner, a practitioner and expert in mindfulness is, and loving kindness is Sharon Salzberg. She wrote a lovely book on uh, loving kindness in the 90s. And she says, she goes, every minute, every moment is an opportunity to start over. And um, sometimes, again, many of us have this all or nothing thinking. And so like, oh my gosh, I've, I messed it up. So that's the end. No, this is the moment I messed up. Now is a new moment. Perhaps we can start over again. So to me, mindful self-compassion is this a loving, loving kindness to ourselves. And then move on. That's wonderful. Thanks, Jasna. I find the begin again um, kind of notion really important and helpful for myself. Sometimes I find myself, you know, I really try to practice self-compassion every day. And I'm not sure whether you've had this experience where I find myself being self-critical and then I, then I, there's like another layer of self-criticism because I forgot to be self-compassionate <laughs> and it's, it's really, it's really helpful to remind myself, okay, just begin again. I can, I can start again and be self-compassionate. <laughs> but that's, that makes us human. Yeah. And, and that's, and, and again, to me, um, I've been doing this for many, many years and, and I, when I teach uh, uh, these uh, workshops and mindfulness and mindful self-compassion to students and, you know, and colleagues, uh, it's, it's basically allowing ourselves to, to be who we are without, uh, without guilt and shame. Uh, Chris Germer, who works with Kristen Neff and the two of them together uh, developed a toolbox of mindful self-compassion and what the three pillars of uh, being uh, mindful or present to the moment and um, uh, self-kindness and also the common humanity. So, if, uh, so they basically identified these, but I find that when we practice in a kind, uh, kind way to ourselves, that's, a, that's what we are doing. And what I mentioned, Chris Germer, he also, his work then specifically looked to shame and how shame underlies all of these um, layers. And, you know, like just what you were saying, you know, I go, oh my gosh, like I've done this for how many, 30 years. Why am I still having hard time to be present in the moment? It's okay. It just is. And without feeling badly or shamed or, you know, because we wouldn't shame a friend. Exactly. So why do we do that to ourselves, you know? Yeah. And that links nicely with the exercise we'll be doing later. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually curious to know, before we launch into talking about the paper, um, in your experience, your sort of vast professional experience, can you just tell us a little bit about where you see a lack of self-compassion showing up, perhaps in student nurses? Where, how does that manifest um, in general? 
Oh my gosh, um, a lot, a lot of that. Uh, uh, it's a huge topic, in all honesty, because uh, it has to do. It's connected with perfectionism. We have to be perfect, and in academia, that is very high as one of the uh, one of the big challenges. We want our students to uh, succeed, and grades in academia are way to show how what the student has achieved. However, um, that can really uh, overshadow the uh, learning. It's like, I just want this grade because I need it if I want to go further in my education or my family uh, expects it or, you know, whatever. So, um, so that these pressures are increasing on our, uh, on our young people and all of us, but speaking of our students. And um, so this societal expectation of success, and then, um, and please uh, uh, don't uh, get me wrong, I think we need all of our wonderful advances in um, technology and social media and so on. However, I find that over the years, the students' anxiety has risen so high that um, I, there are times when, when I wonder, are they actually learning something? And so I, I uh, from, especially for my graduate students, because they don't have exit exams. Um, so I said, it's how you, you will demonstrate your education is by what you actually learn so that you can apply it. Once you graduate with your master's or your doctorate, but uh, most of the students that um, in our school that I have been working with are master's students, you will go into your profession and nobody's going to say, did you get an A or an A minus or a B or whatever on your assignment? They're going to know how well you learned is by what how you applied in clinical practice, in your role, whatever that may be. Oftentimes, these are leadership roles, they're advanced practice nurses and so on. And so it really is, again, um, the quality of that learning. And I find the anxiety and these high expectations that I'll just say society in general, but even, you know, familial and then individual makes students um, driven uh, to succeed. Mm -hmm. And they focus mostly on those grades and, and although they are important and we need to have some kind of, you know, measurements and so on, but not when it's out of balance. And so I find that um, in order for students to be resilient in life, they need to uh, learn how to, how to be, uh, how to actually live the experiences and to learn from these so that they can advance on their life path. You know, it's not just the numbers or the grades. But again, I'm, I'm in a different stage of life than they are. They're 18, 19, 20, you know, and, um, and I'm imagining I probably was like that too, you know, so I can't, it's not a criticism of them. It's just my desire to help them, to relieve them of the burden of these expectations, I guess. So would it be okay to talk us through the review article that you might want to mention your co-authors as well? Um and perhaps just give us a brief summary of why you did the review article, I guess what you are aiming to achieve, and uh, yeah, just a, a little bit of a kind of synopsis of the paper. Of course, of course, yes. So this article is really inspired by our collective interest in mindful self-compassion and nursing education. So um, for this article, I worked with Dr. Lisa Ann Hagerman and Dr. Luella Manan-Kilrankin. They are my colleagues with whom I 
collectively a work in terms of research as well as uh, writing as, uh, on this topic. And we wanted to explore self-compassion and its role in supporting well-being, compassionate care, and students' academic success. These are the things that are important for us as nurse nursing professors. And um, we really wanted to look at uh, the literature, what is out there, what has been written on, on this particular topic of interest, because what we are trying to do, we are just starting another study um, uh, that uh, uh, where we want to uh, see how we can better support um, developing, if you will, compassionate leaders. And so that it's not just compassionate care uh, as in uh, a nurse patient relationship, but compassionate care with within themselves and then compassionate leadership. So um, so that's why we wanted to do this uh, review to see what what is there. So um, we wanted to see the uh, the um, compassion self care for, uh, for self and others. Does that come hand in hand? Or is that something that one needs to then further uh, develop? And we can talk about that a bit later, but this is just um, what we were interested in finding out when we were doing the um, article. But the integrated review uh, really revealed that mindful self-compassion may indeed promote compassionate care towards um, others. And that um, it also may support personal well-being and resilience. And... Um, further supporting the emotional uh, intelligence, uh, which really strengthens the communication skills and uh, being response able instead of reactive, for example, which is, um, again, this present moment awareness where we have a chance uh, for even for a millisecond to stop and say, you know, is this is my response to this moment or is it something that's been bothering me about this particular relationship or situation from before. And of course, as educators, we're interested in student academic success. So uh, based on that review and um, a study that we did um, before that, where we tried to um, develop uh, further faculty capacity or, you know, meaning um, capacity of our uh, educators uh, form uh, for, it was for mindful practices, but mindful self-compassion. So that really uh, we need to uh, bring the experiential into the teaching uh, 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 learning context uh, so that uh, teachers or educators and students can actually learn through experience. So it's not just uh, speaking about it. Because my personal belief is, and I read this uh, example uh, before, and it just made such sense to me again, to say you can't, you know, you can read all you want about swimming, but unless you get wet, you can't learn, you can't swim, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, so it's that kind of stuff. We can, you know, we can talk about it. And that's why I love the idea that at the end, uh, you will be guiding us through an exercise so that the uh, audience may actually experience what it may feel like because we can talk about it, maybe of interest, we hope it is of interest to people, but actually experiencing it makes that difference. And of course, um, you know, so this experiential piece is very important. Absolutely. So th thanks for giving us that summary. So I, I suppose you, you mentioned that you were looking at that relationship between self-compassion, that sort of that kindness towards ourselves our ability to be compassionate towards other people. Um, and obviously that's important in nursing and healthcare, isn't it? Yes. And then you looked at um, 
the influence of compassion had on student learning yes. that it helped optimize improve the actual learning experience of the nurses nursing students and then looking at the specific experiential work that you could do that you could embed into the curricula um i i guess um should we just dig into those a little bit little bit more yes so with the self-compassion and compassionate care i mean I think it makes completely intuitive sense, doesn't it? That if we are able to be kind with ourselves, we're able to um, be acknowledge our own emotional states, we're able to kind of coach ourselves to do our best, in a, but in a non-kind of shaming, critical way. It, it's going to get us into a state that is, is, um, is better for being the caregivers that we want to be, isn't it? Yes, um, and is that your personal experience? And is that what you, you found from this review? Indeed, yes. Um, and um, this review really um, supported what we, uh, what we were uh, experiencing ourselves. And, and um, from our personal work uh, with, uh, with our students, but also the research that we started to develop uh, further. And um, so we were heartened by the fact that um, that other colleagues and researchers have come across, you know, uh, have found a, a similar uh, perspectives and ideas. Um, see, because um, when we are um, present uh, with ourselves, uh, we are then, uh, we start, I have to just an, an, a side uh, note. Sometimes people say, I'm very uh, compassionate towards others. But when it comes to myself, I'm not. Mm. And so I personally wanted to think more about, so what is it? Is it, do I have to be uh, um, mindful with myself before I can be, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, compassionate with myself before I can be compassionate with others? Hmm, that was interesting. And that, uh, uh, for me, uh, I thought, oh, tension. What What is it? And up and uh Ref, uh, further reflection with and work with uh, uh, with uh, participants, with colleagues, and so on. I have come to recognize that um, and that we cannot authentically give what we do not have. And so, based on that, I feel that we first really must be kind um, to ourselves. Uh, before we can extend that kindness to others, because we need to know what that kindness is. And we need to be response able to the person in our care, because it's not, you know, I, when I first started doing this, and, and people oftentimes say, of course, you're a nurse, you're caring. I'm sorry to disappoint the world. It, being a nurse does not guarantee it. Um, it is, uh, we are, before we are any profession, we are first human beings. And we bring all, all who we are as persons into our professional roles and vice versa. So we, uh, we uh, being nurses and uh, educators, although we are most lot more likely to be uh, interested in supporting and caring, compassionate, of course, but it's not a guarantee. And so we can learn um, allopathically uh, what uh, uh, compassion is, what caring is, you know, just disconnected uh, from books and textbooks and stuff, very important. But until we experience it ourselves, it's not authentic because um, not everybody needs to be asked the question, so how is your dog, you know, to go beyond the 
actual disease process of a person. Somebody may be interested saying, you know what, um, I understand you have a, you know, you were just told you have, they have a serious illness. Um, is, is there somebody at home that can look after your dog? That may be important to that person, but not necessarily to everybody who was diagnosed with a serious illness. So this is this thing of being response-able. And Louise Hay uh, was a, a writer um, and, um, and worked very much on the mind and body and spirit um, connection. And her, she would say, you ha- we have to be response-able. And that's what mindful presence allows, uh, allows us to do. And when we are present in that way with ourselves, then we know what that feels like. And so that we can then also offer it to others. So when we have that kindness and presence in mind, then we can then genuinely, authentically do that, not just by the book, which becomes very mechanistic. And, um, you know, then pat answers, which are actually more harmful. Don't worry, everything is going to be fine. Um, maybe for one person, yes, but from somebody else, that may not be the case. So anyhow, uh, so it really is really this presence uh, with and connection with one another on a human level. And that's where my work is very uh, informs this work and mindfulness is the, um, the humanness of care mm-hmm. that we connect on a human level. So important. <laughs> yeah. I think um, something encouraging for if there are listeners out there who are listening to this thinking, yeah, I find it really much easier to be compassionate towards others than than compassionate towards myself. You're not the only person, and that is definitely found in the research literature, and I'm sure we all know people like that. I was certainly like that until I started working on self-compassion. But the good news is that there are lots of tools that we can use. It's a skill set, isn't it, that Mm -hmm. we can be trained in. And there are some blocks and barriers to being self-compassionate sometimes, but we know quite a bit about those, and those can be overcome as well. Um, So let's move on to talking about self-compassion and student learning then. I think this is a really interesting research literature because I think sometimes people have misconceptions about self-compassion. There are some myths about uh, self-compassion or misgivings that self-compassion sometimes is equated with self-indulgence, that if I'm going to be self-compassionate, I'm going to be kind and loving to myself. That me- How am I going to perform? How am I going to do well if I'm just giving myself self-love all the time? Um, and I think your summary of how self-compassion can actually improve student learning addresses some of that. So do you want to just talk through um, a few of the, the kind of sort of findings that you, you came up with? Well, for example, um, you mentioned uh, how mindful self, uh, self-compassion um, people will say, well, so if I'm kind to myself and, well, I feel down, so I want to be kind to myself and I will go and have some chocolate cookies, for example. Well, um, am I being kind to myself? Good question. So the way we want to discern, uh, uh, differentiate being kind to ourselves is what is the long-term benefit? What is the long view? I may be uh, uh, falsely, uh, but, you know, and I don't want to say falsely because there's a time and place where, you know what, things are happening and, and I just need to have a chocolate cookie. There's no, nothing wrong with it. There's no need to shame. But if it is something that we... Uh, default to mindlessly, oh, I'm tired, cookies. Oh, I'm stressed, cookies. That's not being kind. That's being disembodied. That's being disconnected. And that's harmful. What is kind is to say, 
I'm recognized that I'm very tired or I'm stressed or I'm anxious. I get, I recognize that I am craving sugar, not cookies, a sugar to boost my energy. Hmm. What else could I do to do that? And so on. And so this is, so there, so again, it's the, having that space by being present and by being lovingly that the word tough love somehow seems like, but, but being, um, caring to enough to ourselves so we don't harm ourselves that's the difference mm-hmm. and so kindness you know again like for example I'm, I'm thinking um many years ago I, I i was a critical care nurse and so the patient would come in uh, in emergency room uh, a patient would come in with um, a wound and i would have to perhaps pull off a very you know a dressing that was stuck to the wound well i will do that care uh, compassionately, but I sometimes have to uh, pull that off. Mm. That's more caring than, than leaving it on and letting it fester. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, oh, she was kind. She never uh, removed the dressing. No, she was not doing her job, you know, in order to, to care for this patient with kindness and knowledge. Um, I need to remove that dressing so that we can debride the air, you know, the wound and then dress it properly so it can heal. So it's really, um, so we, uh, when we talk about mindful self-compassion, we're not throwing the brain out the window. It has to be intelligent. It has to be uh, holistic, integrated mind, body, spirit, and emotion, so that uh, all of these pieces play into the situation, whatever that may be. So when I talk to the students, again, being a kind uh, to themselves, um, maybe they have three or four uh, papers that are assignments that are due, you know, within the same week at the end of the term or something. So what may be the kindest thing to do? Um, organize and prioritize that these are skills that also students learn and then see uh, and then uh, realistically focus on one and get that completed because we know uh, studies have shown that if we go from task to task with task it's like uh, a trains when they uh, switch tracks it takes a moment for it to click from one track to another so it's the brain blink that is the um, scientific term that we um, that has been um, identified even if it's a milli millisecond it helps us it prevents us from focusing and staying on track with one thing so that is a kindness that we extend to ourselves and if we say and then we say i need to uh, spend time talking with a friend allow that uh, to uh, to be able to feed the soul, so to speak, for a period, of, but give it a, a finite time so that it does not eat away at your other work. So it's this sense of, I would say, a presence, maturity, as some will call it. Um, that's kindness. That's being kind to ourselves, where we don't, you know, where we are, we proceed, but gently and caringly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that's what comes to my mind, yeah. That's that's certainly my experience. And I, I think, you know, as we know from the research literature as well, like that when we're being self-compassionate, we're actually we're being motivating, aren't we? It's we're we're using it to motivate ourselves with kindness rather than criticism, which we actually know does not impact your ability to set goals and achieve goals. In fact, it's the opposite. It actually helps you to be more focused and it actually helps students to come back from setbacks quicker. So yes. it helps them to be more willing and open to receive feedback from their tutors or other people, perhaps on their placements, because 
you know that if you do something wrong or you make a mistake, you, you've got your own back, haven't you? You're able to respond with kindness, acknowledge this sort of, the, you know, the, the things that you might have done well, as well as the things you didn't do so well, and then move forward with an action plan. And I think that's that's something about self-compassion that I think sometimes people don't get is that they 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 think because people have been understandably have, have habitually used that self-criticism being hard on themselves to perform. And you know what? It does work, doesn't it? It works to a certain extent, but at what cost? It can make you feel more anxious and stressed. But the alternative is self-compassion, which allows you to do all those things, but actually yeah. feel good about yourself at the same yeah. time. Yes, yes. And if I may uh, add uh, uh, here is that, when we role model that to our students, then uh, then um, then it becomes normalized, and and they can see that if they are treated with kindness, chances are much higher they will extend that kindness to people in their care and to themselves and to others. And so it really is spreading the uh, the wave of um, positivity, if you will, as opposed to. Um, a lot of times we will hear, well, when I was, in, you know, in such and such uh, uh, school grade, my uh, teacher, did, you know, was very uh, screaming and hard on me and so on. And so they think that when they get to be teachers, not that they're trying to be mean, it's just that that's the only thing that was role modeled to them. But to all of us, um, so it's not them and us, it's just we were once there um, in, in school. But when we are treated with care and compassion, the chances are much higher. They will treat their own themselves like that, their uh, families, their uh, people in their care, if they're in nursing or whatever profession they are in, in teaching or, you know, and so on. So, um, so it does multiply. It's a, it's a good wave. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm mindful of time and I don't want to, obviously I know you're going to have other things to do later. Yes. No. Would it be great before we move on to do this exercise? Why don't you tell us about these the recommendations that came out of this review? Because I think they're fantastic, and it was it was so funny when I came across your paper because it it coincided so much with the work that I am doing over here in the UK, which is basically to try and push for this to embed self compassion work into nursing education and curricula. So so just talk us through what what your recommendations are. So what we really, uh, uh, our goal is really to integrate mindful self-compassion into nursing curricula from day one and ensure its skills are threaded through all courses. But before we can do that, we, uh, uh, we, we really need to build uh, what we call faculty capacity or capacity of teachers, tutors, educators, you know, different terms that we use. Um, they need to uh, uh, they need to learn these skills themselves because not everyone is comfortable or skilled in engaging mindful practices and so i uh, i think that is very very important and we could also engage students um, in artful activities like creative reflection and um, and um, and engage and dial, uh, reflective dialogues with one another, because uh, we need to award the same recognition to mindful self-compassion um, skills as we do to other scholarly uh, endeavors. So we, as educators, need to then demonstrate respect for the development of future. Um, 
I, I use the metaphor self as instrument of care. So we need to uh, develop um, our future instruments of care um, to be um, fine-tuned, to be uh, to uh, to function at their highest uh, possible ability, and that can be through. Um, uh, 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 scholarly um, readings, research, of course, um, but uh, importantly, to bring the academic work and the experiential, to uh, that they are together uh, form as one, that they inform one another. And so it is that it is normalized. So it's not, well, this teacher uses mindful practices and this one doesn't, mm. or this one is nice but this one is not, you know, so to really have it as part of curriculum. And that process uh, takes a little bit of work because um, curricula, as you know, are um, take time to develop. And uh, it's a process in different places, you know, that has to be followed, but we have to start somewhere. And so that's what that's the biggest recommendation is for us is to bring the academic, the textbook stuff with the experiential and start in day one, but also the faculty educators need to be uh, versed in this as well. I totally agree. I think there's that trickle down effect that's necessary. And yeah. like you say, it's it's a it's a kind of philosophy, isn't it? Rather than it's yes. just here's a module, here's something that you can just take, and it's a it's just a one off thing. Yes. Um, yeah, that's great. So what we'll do, Yasna, is we'll put a link to your article um, in the show notes of this podcast, and okay. people can access that and have a read from themselves there may be nurse educators out there or people from from universities or nursing students who would like to have a look at the the article and those recommendations so shall we move on to this exercise to finish off with thank you yes please great so in this exercise we're going to just be giving you a little bit of a taster of what it's like to experience self-compassion so of course if you're listening to this whilst driving you may not want to uh close your eyes or, or follow along um i'm going to invite you if you if you'd like to to close your eyes it can help people focus sometimes and we're just going to settle ourselves to begin with with a couple of slightly deeper breaths into the nose and out through the mouth And I just want you to bring to mind a recent experience that you've had where perhaps you were being a little bit hard on yourself. You noticed some, maybe some negative self-talk, perhaps something had gone wrong. And I want you to think about an experience. If we had a rating of one to 10, where 10 was a really quite intense um, event or experience for you. And one was really kind of like minor we're going for like a two or a three on this scale. So thinking about a time where you're hard on yourself, perhaps putting pressure on yourself, and just want you to bring to mind the particular words that were being used in your mind and the tonality of that inner self-talk. And as you do that, just notice how your body feels as you sort of replay that. The first thing I'm going to get you to do is, with a genuine sense of curiosity, is just to ask yourself, would I speak to a, a friend or someone important to me in, in the way that I've been speaking to myself in my mind? Just notice whatever shows up. 
And now what I'm going to ask you to do is imagine a friend, someone close to you, could be a family member, someone important to you. Imagine they've been through a very similar situation. Perhaps they made a mistake. They failed an exam. There was something going on that was hard for them. And I want you to just picture them in your mind. Picture their face, the way they look as they're struggling. Really see if you can imagine that in your mind's eye. And I want you to imagine the kinds of words and gestures you might use to show compassion towards that person. What might you say to them in that moment of struggling or suffering? Might you put an arm around them to comfort them? Really imagine the tone of voice that you would use as you did that. And really notice what that feels like in your body as you imagine expressing this compassion and understanding, caring, kindness towards a friend. So now I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit different. And I want you for a moment now to see if you can extend that same sense of compassion towards yourself. So bringing to mind again this situation that happened lately where you were being hard on yourself or being self-critical. And I just want you to use those same words, imagining the kind of gesture that you did with your friend and offering that to yourself in this moment. A good question to ask ourselves is, what do I most need right now? Or what did I most need in that moment? What did I need to hear or feel? And notice what that feels like to offer yourself that genuine expression of kindness and support and comfort. Sometimes it can be difficult. Maybe you surprised yourself. Just note whatever showed up for you. And just to finish this exercise, I'm just going to invite you to practice that. Perhaps going through the rest of today, whatever's going on for you. Maybe there's quite a lot of pressure at work or your studies. And see if you can try to summon up that same kind, motivating voice. Okay, let's finish the exercise there. Yasna, do you mind sharing just a little reflection at all about how you found that? What showed up for you? Uh, that was absolutely lovely. Thank you. And I, um, when I imagined a, 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 a stressful situation uh, where I felt I, want, I wanted to be critical about what I was going through, and, and, uh, and, I, and you said, how would, would you talk to a friend like that? And I wouldn't. And, um, and what would I say to my to the friend? I would, you know, touch their arm in a caring way. And I would say, it's okay. You're doing the best you can. And um, this is the, you know, and I went on and support him. And that came so readily to me, as we talked earlier, this sense of, you know, wanting to be caring and supporting to others. 
And then, um, but doing that, uh, turning that then towards me, it just, I felt relaxed. I felt like the energy uh, just, uh, just eased off. Whereas when I first imagined or recalled the situation, I had tension in my epigastric area and the stomach area. And I felt a bit uh, stiff in the body. And then I just felt this melting of tension and uh, the muscles are relaxing. So thank you. That was beautiful. That was very helpful. No problem. If anyone listening would like to access that um, exercise, then you can visit our YouTube channel where I'll make sure there's an upload of that. And there's going to be some other exercises. It's Nurse Wellbeing Mission on YouTube. Um, Yasna, just to finish the conversation today, with all of your vast and wonderful experience, what's your advice you, you would like to share perhaps to maybe just to, to nurses who are just starting their training or or just nursing colleagues in general what's can you share some wisdom or one piece of advice you'd like to give people a couple of things the first thing is is to be gentle be gentle with yourself um or i'd like to uh, speak in we we need to be gentle with ourselves all of us um and um keeping in mind that every moment is an opportunity to start over again very important and that um doing one workshop or or one look uh, listening to one podcast or youtube that's beautiful but it's not the practice itself mm-hmm. it's a way of life it does not mean that everything is going to be peachy, beautiful. It just means that we will live our life. We will taste it. We will live it. We will enjoy it more because we are living it. So gentle uh, and it's a way of life. So just that would be my overall, but I could talk for much longer than that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to get you back on. Thank you. <laughs> there's, there's so much that we could talk about. I think we've got so, yes. so much overlap, haven't we, in what we're interested in and, and what we practice in our own lives. Yes, indeed. Well. Yes. Um, so I just want to thank you enormously for your time today and for the work that you're doing. It's you know, really inspired me and I love reading your research. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Nathan. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you.